Three things before we turn in the scriptures. Thank you for your warm welcome. Also for the hospitality that we enjoyed through Tim and Rachel. And then for the treat of ministering God's word. I really value this. Thank you very, very much. Um, now we open in, open in our Bibles to Psalm 119, Psalm 119, and the very last eight bundle section. That's starting in verse 169. Our text is actually verse 176. But let's read this eight-verse bundle, if we could call it that or can call it that. Listen to the word of God. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips shall utter praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. Let your hand become my help, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live, and it shall praise you, and let your judgments help me. In our text for this evening, or this afternoon, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Let's bow our heads briefly. Again, we come and we ask, O God in heaven, and because of Jesus Christ, that we might enjoy the Spirit's help as we give ourselves to this text. Speak to our souls and sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. So I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Now, am I bringing coals to Newcastle, as they say? Psalm 119 has been described as a string of pearls. 176 of them. And they're in 22 different colors. The 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And if you flip back, and again, forgive me if you're already acquainted with this or familiar, we've got the 22 letters of the Hebrew alpha alphabet starting with Aleph, the beginning of Psalm 119, and at the back end you've got Tau, or Tor. And for those who don't know, every verse in each of the 22 Sections begins with exactly the same letter in the original Hebrew. Now, there's no particular theological significance um, to, to that other than this. Truth is so valuable, we should seriously consider and adopt any practical measure that gets it into our heads. <laughs> Even steps that some might think quaint or even silly. If it helps the memory, it's our friend. Our text this afternoon, verse 176, happens to be the very last pearl. And that's how we're going to look at it, as a single pearl. The very last pearl 
in the psalm. What a strange pearl it is. What an unexpected ending. What a surprising ending. Would you have ended the psalm this way if you had written it, authored it? We've had literally wave upon wave of exalted, indeed enviable, believing confession and experience. Wave upon wave. The psalmist might have lived a long time before Christ, but he definitely has a Christian spirit in him, doesn't he? Why spoil it with the very last verse? Well, the psalmist had his reasons, as did the Holy Spirit who inspired him. What were the reasons? Well, I'm going to leave it for glory. All right? All right? For the moment... I'm glad. Simon Doyle is glad that Psalm 170, sorry, 119 ends with verse 176 as it stands. I'm glad because this verse is a great comfort to me. I can identify with the psalmist. Do you? No matter how close heaven feels at times, how heavenly I feel myself, I often fall back down to earth with a thump by the ongoing realities of, and you can name them, remaining sin and repeat wanderings. Saved from sin I might be, but the old man, the still fallen Simon, is still very much present. A tenant I'd like to evict, but can't. Many times I cannot speak, at least not honestly, of soul-satisfying quiet times, I cannot speak of an insatiable appetite for God's word. Like the psalmist, my thoughts are dominated. They're clouded over by what a wretched believer I am. And then verse 176 of Psalm 119 is a great comfort to me. It doesn't excuse me in my sin. But it does assure me that the best of God's people have been where I am. And what a spur and a tonic that is to believing prayer and repentance. So come with me. Let's examine the verse in detail. First of all, the parts, and there are three parts. There's a confession. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. There's a cry. Seek your servant. And then there's a claim, for I do not forget your commandments. Simple. Confession, cry, and claim. First of all, the confession. I've gone astray like a lost sheep. We're talking about spiritual waywardness, just in figurative terms or figurative language. 
And the mental picture we should have in our minds is of a sheep that has wandered off, away from the flock, away from the protection of the fold, away from the protection of the shepherd. Now the sheep is vulnerable. He or she have realized their situation. They're not only vulnerable, but they have no idea how to get home. That's really the second part of the verse. We'll get there. But let's put ourselves into the mindset of the sheep. I've gone where I shouldn't have gone. I've walked where I shouldn't have walked. I've stopped where I shouldn't have stopped. Worse, I've grazed where I shouldn't have grazed. I've eaten what sheep shouldn't eat. I found myself where I shouldn't be found. Let's be more imaginative. I've gotten myself stuck. I'm dangerously stood on a ledge with nowhere to go up or down. Been there? Not only that, we're hearing the thoughts of this lost sheep, not only that, I'm totally and thoroughly lost. I don't know where home is. I don't know which way to go. I've lost all sense of direction. And again, that's from the psalmist cry, seek your servant, something we will get to. We don't know whether the psalmist's fall, his, his, his backsliding was purely private or public too. Many times our, our wanderings are secret, aren't they? Being secret doesn't mean they are less real. They're just less embarrassing. And sometimes they creep out, don't they? They burst out. But that's another subject. For the moment, the psalmist has strayed and he is helplessly lost. He's so lost that he can't see the way back. And that's why, as I said, he goes on to say, seek your servant, seek your servant. He can't navigate his way out of his situation. So he goes on to cry, seek your servant. And we'll get there. But for the moment, all right, before moving on, I want you to notice who it is that's lost. Remember who the psalmist is. He's a truly converted and otherwise godly man. And that's easily demonstrated because Psalm 119 as a whole reveals seven, and forgive me the anachronism, seven Christian virtues. If you're not comfortable with the word Christian, well, just replace it with the word believing. All right? Now, I'm just going to list them, and for those taking notes, and I can give you these verses afterwards, we're not going to dip into the verses, otherwise we'll be here quite a long time. But I'm going to list these seven Christian believing virtues, all right, with the verses at the back for those who want to write them down, and you can go and see uh, whether what I'm asserting or suggesting is true or not. But first of all, all right, the first Believing or Christian virtue is unfeigned love for God's word. That's Psalm 119, isn't it? 
A sample, just trawling one's fingers through Psalm 119. You can look at verses 11, 14, 20, 24, 72, 97, and 148. And if that's too quick for you to have written it down, you can come and ask me afterwards. The second virtue is humble and prayerful dependence on God. And there you should look at a, a, an eight-verse bundle, verses 33 to 40. Thirdly, this man is marked by a holy determination to do what's right, expressed in unqualified resolutions, verbal commitments to do what's right. That's verses 16, 61, 93, and 106. And these are just samples, all right? I'm not being exhaustive. Fourthly, we also see a principled and a heartfelt recognition of the source of any success in living the believing life. Just look at verse 32 there. It all comes from the Lord, doesn't it? All right? A principled and a heartfelt recognition of the source of any success in living the believing life. Fifthly, there's a righteous zeal for God's honor and law. Verses 53, 113, 128, and 158, and closely related to this fifth virtue, all right, nested within it, is a tender sensitivity for God's honor and law. Verse 136. We're getting there. Penultimate one, sixthly, there's this man is marked by a steadfast, even dogged obedience. And that even when obedience isn't easy. In other words, in the face of opposition and when discouraged, arms are hanging down. All right, verses 83, 87, 109, 110, 141, 143. Maybe you'll see why we haven't gone and dipped into all of those. All right, and then lastly, seventhly, this man is marked by, this is the man who wrote Verse 176, all right? Lastly, he's marked by wisdom, insight, and understanding gained from or rooted in God's word. Verses 98 to 100 are proof of that. What's the long and the short of all of this? The long and the short of it all is that the writer of a Psalm 119 was an exemplary believer. Yet, it's the same man who says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. It's humbling enough to face up to the fact that the human race in its entirety has strayed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. But surely, 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 when we have called out to God for salvation, when we have embraced the Savior in saving faith and repentance, surely then there's no more straying. At least not to the point of being lost. Well, on the authority of God's word, yes, there is. 
Not lost in an unsaved sense. We're not talking about being absolutely lost. But believers stray and believers get lost. Even believers who are otherwise godly ones. Maybe that's you now. Do you identify with what the psalmist speaks about? Are you humiliatingly, are you desperately lost in some or other dreadful sin? Maybe it's not the worst of sins, but it's enough to have gotten you stuck. Like the psalmist, you need to cry out for rescue. So secondly, the psalmist cry, seek your servant. And notice three things about the psalmist cry. And this will be quite brief, all right? First of all, I want you to notice how simple and unqualified it is. Three words. Seek your servant. I did a little word study on Psalm 119 some years ago, and it was very enlightening. I won't turn this into a classroom, but guess what the most common words in Psalm 119 are? All right? They're actually not words referring to God's word, believe it or not, like law, testimony, statutes, precepts, commandment. And that's not denying the importance of those words. All right? One in every four words in Psalm 119 is personal. Indeed, the top four words are personal. One, two, three, four. We're talking about words like I and me, you, my, your, and yours. I think I jumped ahead a little bit there. First of all, we notice how simple and unqualified it is. All right. Secondly, we should I should have prefaced all of that. Notice how personal the psalmist's prayer is. So backspace, backspace, backspace. Sorry. So the first thing to notice, all right, I ran ahead of myself, is notice how simple and unqualified the psalmist's prayer cry is. Secondly, notice how personal the psalmist's prayer is. And there's that business about the statistics. All right, the language. But thirdly now, I want you to notice how helpless the psalmist feels. Augustine said this, Lord, to err I'm able, to return I'm unable. This side of the grave and glory, we are not only not beyond Straying, but once lost, we're not beyond being unable to get back where we should be. Now, there's quite a few double negatives in that. Let me get rid of the double negatives. How about this side of the grave and glory? All right. Believers stray. They stray beyond being able to get back to where they should be. A rescue mission is essential. That's sobering. Now, the whole of our Christian's life, our Christian believing lives, even the successful part, is lived by the grace of God, isn't it? 
all of it. But we realize how dependent we are on that grace when we stray and find ourselves stuck. Thirdly now, the psalmist claim, for I do not forget your commandments. What's going on here? Does the psalmist think he's got something to put on the table from his side, as it were? Is this a bargaining point? Like the chap stranded on the side of the motorway calling up AA or what do you call it? Um, RAC, is that right? Yes, my subs are up to date. <laughs> is this what the psalmist is trying to do? No, I want you to notice what the psalmist says. First of all, he doesn't say, for I do your commands. Rather, he says, for I do not forget your commandments. And then secondly, notice the negative tone to his words. He says, for I do not forget your commandments. He does not say, for I remember your commandments. You see, the psalmist isn't asserting some form of merit as though he has something to offer at the bargaining table. Nor is he trying to minimize his sin, pointing to this one plus. <laughs> Neither is he confused, saying in one breath, yes, I've gone astray, and in the next breath, well, not quite completely. It's none of those things. If it's none of those things, what then is he saying? Well, essentially, he's saying, this is not where I want to be. And this is not what I am. Not deep down. What I ought to be and do is continually on my mind. What you command me to be and do is, is continually on my mind. I, I won't, it won't leave me alone. Indeed, it's at the very root of my knowing I've gone astray. And it's, at, it's the very basis of my cry for help. Now let's develop this thought a little and a, more, a little bit more encouragingly, all right? Listen to the sheep again. Though I'm a prodigal, I still bear the marks, the DNA. <laughs> I have the DNA. I'm one of your children. I'm one of your sheep. I do not forget your commandments. Are you following me? Though I'm a prodigal, I am still your servant, don't ignore me. You see, only the children of God love God's law from the heart, even if they can't keep it consistently, even when they are woefully unsuccessful in keeping it. We won't turn to Romans 7 verse 22, but hopefully it's familiar to all of you. What does Paul say in Romans 7 verse 22? For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. There's the believer. Yes, I'm not reading your word. My affection for your people has ebbed worse. It has eroded away. I'm nowhere as prayerful as I was. No, let me be more honest. Uh, I'm, I'm practically prayerless. I've fallen into such awful habits and just don't know what to do to break their hold. But, and this is the issue, I'm not happy with the situation. 
That's the lost sheep. I'm not happy with the situation. My, my desire, my sincere desire is to do otherwise. Truly. You following me? The little word for doesn't introduce an argument in mitigation like we hear in the law courts to lessen guilt or, or more importantly to lessen the penalty. Nor is it you owe me. It's simply a seriously backslidden believer saying, with all my wondering, with all the red-faced shame and guilt that I feel, I still remember your commandments because I love them. Maybe that's where you are today. Is it? Well, there's a reason to hope. An inner and a sincere delight in God's law marks you out as one of God's children. Will he ignore your cry? Can the shepherd ignore your cry? Let's get on to lessons. We've seen the psalmist's confession. It's honest and it's candid. Then there's his sincere but significant claim. Sorry, we've seen his cry, rather. I'm jumping ahead of myself, aren't I? We've seen the psalmist's confession. It's honest and candid. We've seen his cry. It's heartfelt and simple. And then there's his sincere but significant claim. Now, three closing lessons. Another three C's. First of all, comfort. Comfort for those who wonder. Who are lost now, even as believers. Here's the comfort. Believers, otherwise godly ones, wonder to the point of being lost. Not lost again. <laughs> Please understand me. Not lost again. We're not talking about losing salvation here. But they are still lost. The psalmist uses that word. And every believer identifies with what he's saying to some degree or other. It's those times when we don't know the way back. It's in those situations that deep personal shame and also an unrealistic view of believing life, the side of the grave and glory, can too easily leave us vulnerable to hopeless despair. Again, we're getting into the head of this lost sheep. Or, after all the privileges I've enjoyed, all the, all the investments of grace, all that I know, all that's been revealed to me, surely I'm a complete and utter counterfeit of fraud. I thought it was all real. But now it's proven to be a sham. Counterfeit. Even I was deceived. Not necessarily. Even exemplary believers wonder to the point of being lost. It is possible to be a genuine believer and yet sin significantly and seriously. Now, please understand me, sin is never excusable, but we shouldn't be so surprised at its existence, even in believing circles, ourselves or others. 
We see it in others and we are what? Horrified. <laughs> and then we sin ourselves seriously and we despair of salvation. The devil comes to our door, he sniffs out an opportunity and he says, yes, you're a fraud. And the sensitive sheep, precisely because the sheep is sensitive, <laughs> hears him out. Psalm 119 shows us the character and the experience of a truly godly man in his own words. And it includes, indeed, it ends with verse 176. So, real believer, genuine sheep, banish despair. You might be helpless, but you aren't hopeless. Cry out to the one, the only one who rescues. What's important is a tenderness to God and his word. How does he say it? For I do not forget your commandments. Now, if you're a professing believer who has wandered and you care little for God's commandments, this isn't the text for you. At least not its comforting aspects. The text actually rebukes your indifference to God's commandments. For the true saint, it is quite different. How often do you feel absolutely helpless, brother and sister, deeply conscious of being in a desperate situation and powerless to get out of it? Besetting sins, grievous falls into serious temptations, bad habits that you cannot break. Well, this is the text for you. <laughs> who are tender to God and his word. This is the text for you because a fellow saint is speaking. So the first lesson had to do with comfort. The second one is a caution. A caution. This is for believers who think wandering to the point of lostness is impossible for believers. It's for those believers who do not identify with the psalmist's words. Perhaps because the Lord has mercifully preserved them from serious sin or as mercifully has delivered them from some, some awful peril when they strayed, when they didn't even know it. I mean, when we were once, all of us were once little kids, weren't we? And how many times did, did mum yank us out of the way of traffic and the only thing we could do was whine at the discomfort in our arms completely unaware of the danger that was next to our ears. How often does the Lord do that? All right. Here's a caution for those who think that believers can't stray or fall. The caution is also for believers who look down their noses at others who fall, as though they themselves are beyond straying. And this is what the text says to you. This side of the grave and glory, you are not beyond straying, nor once lost. You are not beyond being able to, to, to sorry, not being, get, I'm going in my double negatives again. Sorry, end of the day. All right. This text says to folk like this, this side of the grave and glory, you are not beyond straying and once lost, not being able to get back to where you need to be. Let him who thinks he stands 
take heed lest he fall. Self-distrust is essential to healthy faith. It's also essential to loving and charitable church life. We're better at giving ourselves space, aren't we, in sin than giving it to others. But love covers a multitude of sins, we read. Not brazen and indifferent sins, but when there's confession, uh, sorry, conviction. For I have not forgotten your commandments. Where there's a sensitivity to God and his word. All right. Where there's a tenderness to the spirit and his convicting and his challenging work. Well, who will kick a dog when it's down? Thirdly and lastly, a word of challenge, a friendly challenge. The believing psalmist isn't just speaking as a believer to believers. He doesn't just provide a Christian example for Christians. What he does in verse 176 is an example also for the really lost. Those who are strangers to God and to Christ... Those who are still lost in their sins. Those who, if they don't turn to the Savior, will be eternally lost. And our text provides a good example for the sinner who wants to be saved. Do you want to know how to be saved? I don't need to tell you in this church, do I? So I'm saying things you've already heard. All it needs, and this is just working from Psalm 176. It could be phrased and expressed in different ways, depending on the portion of Scripture that's in mind. But do you want to know how to be saved? All it needs is honest confession and a simple cry of save me, both of which rooted in a sincere desire for things to be different. And the recipe is in verse 176. The ingredients are all there. (laughs) And you have to note where this believer prays from. He prays from where he is. You don't have to get to Christ for him to help you. He comes to you. He's the true shepherd who goes out to find and rescue the lost sheep. And he has a very keen ear. The God who hears saints, lost saints, like the writer of Psalm 119, he also hears lost sinners too.